0: Welcome to the Evidence Informed Teaching Podcast. Are you a teacher wanting to improve your classroom practice and deliver excellent teaching through access to research? Do you have a passion for teaching and are looking to connect with other like-minded colleagues through professional discussions? The Charter College has partnered with TeacherTap to support teachers to deliver excellent teaching through access to research, and we invite you to be part of this community. On this podcast you will hear from fellow teachers research experts and you have the opportunity to be part of this professional discussion you can find out more about the Charter college of teaching and teacher tap in the show notes and if you find this episode helpful why not share it with a teacher friend take a screenshot and post it on your social media or even better leave us a five star written review hello welcome to your regular summary of teacher tap findings I'm Karen Wespieser and I'm going to be guiding you through some of the top topics that tappers have tapped. Each day, around 10,000 teachers take part in answering our research questions, so you can trust that this data is a nationally representative view of what teachers in England think. In this episode, we're going to look back at the first half term of the 23-24 academic year. How's it been for you? We're going to look at two topics in detail. First of all, we're going to talk about emails. How many emails teachers read? What's in them? What, if any, rules you have to follow about sending them? The second part of the podcast, we're going to look at regrets. What regrets do head teachers have, and what would class teachers do differently if they were to become a head teacher? As always, you can find lots more findings on the Teachertap blog and every day in the app. Download it if you don't have it already. Let's kick off with emails. When TeachTap first started back in 2017, the watchword at the time was workload. One of the, shall we say, many education secretaries since then, Damien Hines, was very concerned that emails in particular were a source of extra work for teachers. Was he right? And have things got any better? When teachers say emails are causing workload, do they mean reading or writing emails? And exactly how much time are we talking about? We've looked into it. What we've found is that when it comes to writing, most teachers send fewer than five emails a day. But this really varies by job role. A whopping nine in ten classroom teachers send fewer than ten emails and most send fewer than five per day. But one in 10 headteachers send more than 50 emails in an average day. Middle leaders who still have substantial teaching loads in most cases are also creeping up the scale. Around 30% of them say they send more than 10 emails a day. The problem with so many emails being sent is that they have to be read and this is where timings really start to ramp up. Half of classroom teachers say that they read more than 10 emails per day, and one in 20 teachers say they read over 30. Meanwhile, heads are basically drowning in emails. Almost half of head teachers, 45%, say that they read more than 50 emails per day. Quantifying the amount of time it takes to read and write emails is difficult. Some emails are A simple notification that a student has completed homework on a digital platform, but others are in-depth curriculum matters with multiple actions. So estimates on how long it takes can vary from 20 seconds per email to up to around three minutes if you're really reading and not just glancing at the content. If we go as an average for 20 seconds to read an email and another 10 seconds to switch between emails, that doesn't seem too bad. For classroom teachers, that adds up to between 5 and 15 minutes to get through everything each day. For heads, it's closer to half an hour a day. The problem is, this doesn't give any time for the response or the action that you might need to take as a result of that email. That makes it even harder to quantify. a complete stab in the dark, let's imagine A third of emails require an action that takes an average of four minutes, given that some are simple, just like, yes, please response, but others might involve trekking across the school to go and see someone. So if that is accurate, that means that classroom teachers need to add another between 15 and 45 minutes to their email response time. And if you're teaching a full timetable, that's a lot of extra work each day. One thing to note, though, This doesn't actually seem to be getting worse. The amount of emails that teachers have reported since 2021 has been consistent. So there's a a golden lining to that one. Another quick thought on this is that while 45 minutes of extra work per day may seem a lot, compared to sitting in a 60 minute meeting, it might actually be quite efficient. When we ask this term, over 46% of teachers said that they'd attended a meeting in the past week that could have been an email. So even if we give the full me- the email the full five and a half minutes for reading, process and action, that's still going to be quite a bit shorter than a meeting. But what's actually in emails that teachers are receiving? We know that schools are increasingly concerned about data privacy when it comes to emails as anyone who's accidentally revealed their emails on a classroom write board in front, of the teach, in front of their pupils will understand. And that's why half of schools now have rules about how pupils should be named in emails. We found on TeachTap that one in five schools only allows pupils to be mentioned in the email body, not in the subject line, and three in ten only allow pupils to be mentioned by their initials. Another popular email pastime in schools is sending all staff emails about niggling things. For example, please help, lost authenticator key, or purple car, blocking gate. These emails are often redundant by the time that the person opens them, or worse, it's descended into people responding about their own authenticator keys, or who else has bought a purple car. To limit such things... 18% of schools limit who can send all staff emails. And apparently, 1% actually ban them altogether. But 1% is within a margin of error uh, for people whose fingers might have just slipped when they were answering our teacher tap questions. So maybe 1% of schools ban it, or maybe 1% of teachers are clumsy when they're answering teacher tap questions. In any case, we know that secondary schools are more likely to limit all staff emails than primary. One in three schools only let the senior leaders or the heads send all staff emails. But in primary schools, 95% can be sent by anyone. Given that primary schools typically have fewer staff, the potential for this to get out of hand is lower. But here's your thought for the day. Would it be better if you could not send all staff emails at all? Let me know on the usual social channels that's enough about the problems of emails. What might some of the solutions be? One of the mooted solutions to email workload is reducing the amount of hours in which emails can be sent. But for people who struggle with anxiety about receiving emails and those types of people who feel compelled to respond as soon as they arrive, and I put my hand up on that one, it can be helpful to know that you're not going to be disturbed later in the day, and you're not going to get an out-of-hours email. But for others, It's crucial for their work well-being that they can be flexible. And again, (laughs) I put my hand up for this group too. For example, catching up with emails after the kids have gone to bed or doing the school drop-off and not having a flood of emails at 7.45 in the morning, which you could have handled perfectly happily at 11 at night. Pleasing both groups, even if some people do fall into both groups, is difficult to do. So what ways are schools going? Back in 2018, when we first asked about this, very few schools limited out-of-hours emails. While still a minority position, the policy has grown in popularity. 18% of schools now do not allow emails to be sent on evenings or weekends or both. This is slightly more common in secondary schools than it is in primary. One of the suggested benefits about limiting when you can send emails is that it changes the culture meaning that emails are relied on less and that there's less emailing uh, frenetically out of hours but is there actually evidence of this we checked back in the teach archives to have a look first off does it change the amount of emails that are sent overall no not really Schools who do have an out-of-hours policy had slightly fewer emails read and slightly fewer emails received, but the difference was marginal, not big enough for us to say decisively that it was down to the email policy that they had in place. Secondly, does it change how you're likely to engage with emails uh, during school holidays? Again, apparently not. In both types of schools, People were just as likely to choose to ignore emails or read emails or to set out of office replies during the holiday. It made no difference whether you were in a school that had an email policy or one that didn't. And thirdly, does it make it less stressful to receive communications during the holidays? Again, not much. In the last holidays we looked at, so that would be the big summer holidays, 20% of teachers received an email that made them stressed or unhappy. And for heads, received one of these stressful emails. But whether your school had an out-of-hours email policy or not made no difference to those stats. So obviously this isn't the last word on whether this is a good idea to have an out-of-hours email policy. We haven't on TeachTap asked about receiving stressful emails out-of-hours. We've only asked about it in holidays. Nor have we asked about how teachers feel about having an out-of-hours email policy. But what we do know so far suggests that it probably doesn't make much difference. So, if people like having an out of hours emails policy, great, that would be good. Um, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't really matter, as long as it's making you feel like you're being listened to. On to our second topic regrets. So, we asked senior teachers, so head teachers, senior leaders, about their regrets as a school leader. We also asked class teachers about what they would do differently if they were to go into a leadership position, but let's start off by looking at what the leaders said. The responses from school leaders were surprising and moving at times. When asked what they most regret, one of the most common responses related to recruitment and management of staff. Around a third mentioned these topics. The most frequent regret by far, related to poor hiring decisions. Um, often made out of desperation due to sh- staff shortages or as a result of taking poor advice. One head's comment summed up the responses of many. They said, my biggest regret is taking on someone I wasn't sure was right. They taught a shortage subject and I genuinely believed they were better than nothing. I was wrong and I will never do that again. Another common regret was taking on headship too early, too late, or in the wrong school, or not at all. One in 10 heads expressed regret in relation to their career decisions. More regretted taking up a leadership position too early than too late, but it seems choice of school is just as important as timing of the first appointment. Next comes regrets about the treatment of pupils. This was mentioned by one in 10 heads, and many of these were Really sad to read and reflect the really difficult position many heads are in, in having to accommodate vulnerable pupils with complex needs in a time of limited budgets and limited support. One primary head summed up the situation for us as follows I regret having to make the decision to suspend a child. It wouldn't have happened if children with additional and/or undiagnosed needs were given the support by RLA sooner. It's a constant and unnecessary battle which is failing many of our children at the start of their schooling experience. 9% of heads told us that they regret succumbing to external pressures caused by accountability rather than doing what they feel is right for students. The majority of these comments related to choices that made things look good for Ofsted, but others also mentioned uh, choices they made related to their mat or Or to local authority pressures, as one head told us. I regret doing things to fit in with Ofsted, rather than what is in the best interests of pupils and staff. Many heads also commented that they felt they got communication wrong at school. For some, this just meant that they wished they'd explained their plans better. But many also expressed regret about not listening more closely to staff. We know speed matters in headship, but many express regret about moving too fast. For example, one primary head told us, I regret making decisions too quickly, reacting based on minimal evidence and being too emotive. Whilst a secondary head said, I regret trying to rush change before staff were ready. It caused more harm than good, even though the intentions and the idea were right. Does that ring true for you? Let us know in the usual places. When we asked classroom teachers what they would never do if they were to become a school leader, the responses were surprisingly consistent. By far, the most frequent comment was that class teachers would never forget what it's like to teach a full timetable. Many went as far as saying they would never stop teaching even if they became a head teacher, that you wouldn't lose touch. One class teacher told us, I'll never forget the demands of teaching a full-time classroom teacher timetable. And I would use that to guide expectations of what is achievable in a working week for staff. The next most frequent set of comments related to bureaucracy and workload. Class teachers told us they would never have pointless meetings, plan more than one meeting or event in a week. They would never use teacher's PPA time for a meeting. They would never make staff do unnecessary admin box ticking tasks. Never send an email and then repeat the information in a meeting. Never make marking mandatory. Never hold meetings on parents' evening weeks. Or never hold meetings that could have been an email. Treatment of staff also featured highly. Lots of class teachers said they would never take staff for granted. They'd never create a culture of distrust, be condescending, unappreciative and would never forget that staff are employees, not students. Finally, many class teachers told us they would never ask a colleague to do something that they wouldn't do themselves. Lots of nice lessons there and lots of things to reflect on. And interesting how it, it brings us back to some of the topics we were talking about at the start of the podcast about emails, meetings and the balance between the two. And that's it from this episode. There are loads more findings on our TeacherTap blog, including why does it feel like pupil behaviour is getting worse? Which teachers lock their classroom doors? How has pupil premium interventions changed since 2018? Who arrives earliest at school and who stays latest? And who is the biggest education influencer? As ever, let us know if there are any topics you think we should explore or questions you think we ought to ask on TeacherTap. You can find more information on the topics discussed today, including loads of cool charts, on teachertap.co.uk. And if you haven't already, you can find TeacherTap in your app store or a play store. Download it, join in and get tapping.